Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. I'm your host, Shwini Poo. I was just about to repeat the number, actually, but I am joined. That was <laughs> my co-host, Prez. That is at Presidente on Twitter. Prez, how are you doing on this kind of gloomy, rainy, miserable post-Labor Day stretch we have right now? <sighs> I wish I was still on a long weekend, but I'm doing all right. I... Did you do long weekend things? Not really. I just kind of kicked it and do yeah. shit. Just watch, hung out. <laughs> watch, watch ball. Watch ball, catch up on TV, play video games, and go anywhere. So it was good. It was a success. So you just avoided your wife the entire time? Uh, some <laughs> of the time. Possibly, perhaps. Can either confirm nor deny. <laughs> All right, look, we have plenty to get into, but before we get started, I do have to make an announcement that Strickland has Patreon. You can subscribe to it. There are a number of tiers. There's a $6 tier that comes with access to this pod right here, Pod Strickland, that I do every Friday with Prez. You also get access to the Strickland Discord, where the conversation never stops. It certainly hasn't stopped since, uh, God knows, maybe since it started. Uh, there are further tiers. There's a $9 tier that comes with access to Strick and Roll, my solo pod, where I rant and rave about the Knicks even more. But more importantly, you get access to wonderful weekly premium articles by the likes of Jack Huntley and Matthew Miranda, two of the best in the business. There are further tiers. There's a $15 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier, and $100 tier. Those come with a variety of additional benefits like listening in on pod recordings, live watch parties, merchandise discounts, and even potentially co-hosting a podcast alongside yours truly one day. Whether you choose to subscribe or not, no, this would be possible without you. So, without further ado, uh, we are going to talk about the New York Knickerbockers. And we will, I think we can both pledge that we are done talking to, or done talking about the specifics of the Donovan Mitchell trade. But we cannot promise we will not talk about Donovan Mitchell trade adjacent topics. Um, because it's it's unavoidable. It's really all we've got right now. Uh, so, but you know, before we get into all that, I think uh, you know, look, we have to talk about Julius Randall because this is now. Look for me, I have been a gigantic asshole about this the entire offseason. I have never let up on this. This has always been my number one priority. I've never cared anywhere near close to as much about trading for Donovan Mitchell, not trading for Donovan Mitchell, trading for DeJounte Murray, not trading for DeJounte Murray. Not a single fucking thing has mattered to me more than trading Julius Randle. He's still on the roster. We have about I don't know, 19 days until training camp, so two and a half weeks. Uh, Prez, I think you have some thoughts. Uh, I also have thoughts, but I will let you say your thoughts before I say my thoughts. In response <laughs> to your thoughts. Sure. Um, I'm curious about the Randall stuff, and I, 
you know, like, for a while when we were talking about Donnie, you know, you were like, they shouldn't trade for Donnie if they're not going to move Randall. But really, the Randall thing, for you, that held pretty much no matter what, right? Like, regardless of... It didn't matter. It was more... Yeah. It, it is, actually, I think he was even more important if they traded for Donovan Mitchell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I mean, I saw your tweet about Ronaldo, and I want to talk about that. And listeners were confused. That'll make sense later. But um, I was going to ask you if you knew who Ronaldo was. I wasn't sure. It is, he is one of the <laughs> small handful of soccer players who I actually know. I didn't know that he. Uh, I just assumed he was still like the truth or whatever, though. So you you must know the least among your entire family about soccer. I'm going on the limits and I'm throwing that out there. Uh, no, no, that is vastly incorrect. Um, yeah, that most of my family is just like only cares about the Yankees and literally nothing else. (laughs) So we're, you know, we're pretty much in the same, uh, same bucket here. When stereotyping goes wrong, but also is true. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. The, the guys in my family care about hoops as well. But beyond that, it's just, it's just the Yankees. Actually, that's not true. It's the Yankees and tennis. I got I got a lot of tennis nuts in my family. I will say that. Shout out yeah. to uh, to TFO. Do the damn thing. I hope he wins the whole the whole shindig this year. Um, yeah, been seeing a little, little dabbling in tennis tweets. Yeah, yeah, you know, you know, I dabble, dip my toe in. But um, but anyway, like, so I actually kind of want to start with that tweet before I get into my thing. So what Schwinn tweeted was that. I mean, I'll, I, you obviously know more about soccer than I do, but like it. So, some team has convinced the almighty Christian Ronaldo to take like a smaller role for the sake of. It's not convinced. He tried to get out. Uh, it's my club, United Manchester United. Uh, he joined last year. New manager came in. Just trying to implement. He joined the before the new manager. Yeah, he or joined after? last year. Last year, and, and the new manager was already there. No, the new manager came in this offseason. Oh, got it, got it. Um. He's trying to implement a totally different style of play. Ronaldo is older. It's hard for him to do the things that he wants him to do. Also, has did not exactly buy into what he wanted him to do to start. So he dropped him, which was obviously a massive deal. It was also a huge risk because... What do you mean dropped him? But dropped him, meaning he dropped him from the starting lineup and moved okay. the match. Uh, which was obviously a big deal because it is Cristiano Ronaldo. Damn. Who is, arguably either the best or the second best player of all time. Obviously, he's not that as good anymore, so it makes it a little bit easier, but that's the entire point. That is the entire point. If a player of his profile that has achieved, he's literally won everything you can win at club level in soccer, and he has won it multiple times over. He has enjoyed great success for his national team, winning a European championship. Uh, that's their only major trophy in their history. He is their club captain. He's been. He's the country national team captain. He is basically one of the great. He's at the worst, at the absolute worst. He's like a top five player of all time. Top three to most people. Top two. Top one to others. Um, point being, if a player of that caliber, I don't care how old he is. I don't care if he's not the same player anymore. Well, I do care if he's not the same player anymore because that's the entire point. You are only as good as what you have done for me lately. And if Julius Randle comes back next year. And he's bought in and he's playing well, fine. Fucking start him. You know, if it, but none of this, it has to be earned. Like, it cannot be this thing of like, well, we paid Julius, so he's got to start because if he doesn't start, what will that say about the optics and what about his trade value? Let me tell you, I want to let the Knicks in and I want to let everybody in. 
everybody listening to this pod, in an oblique secret. The Knicks started Julius Randle all season last year, right? They started him all year. It didn't matter how he played, and most of it was pretty fucking awful. They played him the entire fucking year. Started him the entire year. Forget played him. Started him the entire year. What did that do for his optics? What did that do for his trade value? Is it great? Are we now like, oh my God, thank God we started him all year. What an amazing trade asset. No, we're all like, wow, this sucks. How the fuck do we trade him? Okay, so tr- so clearly just starting him, regardless of how he plays, is not a very meaningful option. So if he is playing like a total asshole again and very poorly and scoring inefficiently and not trying on defense, I don't see why we can't try him off the bench. Kevin Love came off the bench on a bad Cavs team, by the way, a couple years ago. Not not the team from this past season that was good and had all the great vibes and fucking young talent. And now they got down to it. No, not that team. Talking about the bad team a couple years ago with Colin Sexton on it. He came off the bench. Kevin Love. Kevin Love has is a much more decorated player than Julius Randle ever was and ever will be. Okay, he is. He's a he's a higher profile player, and yes, he's an older player. Higher profile player, also on a big contract. Guess what? If that can happen for him, then it can sure as shit happen for fucking, you know, um, for Julius Randle. And actually, sorry, I'm looking at it. He actually didn't come off the bench, but he did come off the bench last year even before it was like they were good. So if you can make guys like that come off the bench, it is fine. Like, it is, the, the, the thing is, we, are, we already paid him, right? We've already paid him. So, and I, this leads into your point. We've already paid him. So there's two options, okay? The first option is you see what you can get in the trade market. If you have to attach a pick, see what the value you get back is. If sure, you have your line, you know, you explore, and yeah. maybe that it sucks, and maybe you can't find something that's not egregious, in which case he's back, which gets to what you're about to yeah. say. Right, and, if he, and so if that is too much for you to stomach, then you bring him back. But if you bring him back, it cannot be like, oh, hey, Julius, you get to do whatever you want. And you're going to start, you do everything. And I just want to finish off with this. Jeff Hornacek showed more fucking balls doing this with stuff like this than Tim, Tom Thibodeau did. Jeff Hornacek benched Joakim Noah to the point that Joakim Noah pun- like punched him, right? He like attacked him and they had to send him home. If, if Julius Randle, like, look, if, if I don't think Julius would act like that who knows last year was crazy um but like at the end of the day like you have to make tough choices so like you can either make the tough choice of like attaching draft capital if necessary to move him or taking on a terrible contract in return to move him whatever it be or you can make the tough decision of it which is to me is not that tough a decision which is just like hey we're happy you're back we're happy to have you're a talented guy you're part of this team but your starting role is not handed to you you have or, to earn it. Even That's beyond it. that, I would say, like, you know, I, I, I love the way you framed it, and I'm mad at myself for not thinking about it in that way. Like, the front office, right, there's tough decisions either way. So there's the the trade t- tough decisions, like you said. The toughest decision would be firing Tibbs, but let's just assume that's off the table, right, even though it shouldn't be. But the other tough decision is not just telling Julius, hey, your starting gig is on the line here. But telling Tibbs, like, you have to, you can't exclude him from accountability, right? You can't, you can't just play him if he's continuing to sink the team just because you don't know how to, 
like the fact that you didn't know how to handle him personality wise last year doesn't excuse you from changing it up this year. And we know Tibbs didn't know how to handle him, not just because we have eyes, but because Tibbs' mouthpiece, Mark Berman, uh, a couple weeks ago, I think before he took his um, hiatus, in one of his pieces, he wrote that, that that Tibbs didn't really know how to handle the situation with Julius, right? Like, he, he, for some, it was awkward for Tibbs. Let's put it that way. Let's put it nicely. It was awkward for Tibbs because he yeah, didn't want to... We can we can call it what it is. He was a coward. And he, he was a coward. He, he abdicated he, all... He, he was... I love saying this, by the way. This is one of my favorite <laughs> sayings. It was, a dereliction, it, was, it was a dereliction of duty. Um, that is a quality one. Yeah, but yeah, so like, cool. you know, like a lot of the time people get on me, they're like, oh, you're not, you're not as tough on the front office as you should be. Okay, cool. Like, I, I totally think that we're at the point that they have to, they can't not make any of those tough decisions. The, there's three possible tough decisions you have to make. Trade him at the low point of his value or get rid of your coach or tell your coach to get his shit together. And the third option is really the easiest of these things by far for the front office, or it should be anyway. You're not telling, you're not even telling him like, Hey, don't like, it's not like you're saying, if you don't do this, we're going to fire you. This, this is a request that should be, within the realm of just like, hey, this is our plan for next year. Like you this is how you this is how we need you to operate. Like you that you talk about how you're gonna approach managing your basketball team both on and off the court in advance of the season every single year. And you change things year to year. And as players change, as you get different rosters, as players grow and roles change and stuff like that. And this should be a simple part of that conversation. And if you decide well, we don't want to. We re, we're the Knicks, and we really don't like losing value propositions or whatever. So we're gonna we're gonna stick stick around and see what we got, and try to thread the needle with him and Obi. Then fine, but you can't you can't just let Tibbs continue to stick his head in the sand and pretend it's all good because that's not gonna help anyone. Um, and it, it's really simple, and it ties into. Uh, the other rant I was going to go on, which is like this front office. And also it turns out I found out today, a lot of fans really care about the optics of transactions. And it's funny because we just spent months harping on how Danny Ainge does this so much. It's fucking annoying. And he might've turned down a better deal because of that, he preferred to win the optics and all that shit. And a lot of Knicks fans do the same thing. I had a 14 trade. We don't have to go through it. It was just whatever. It was a trade that got Randall off the team, got Fournier off the team, take Westbrook, wave him. And in the pick, if you look at what's coming in the trade, if you look at what's coming back, is Russ and a bunch of second rounders. And you had some people being like, Oh, the Lakers get too much. Some people said, oh, the Knicks only get, you know, they move Evan and Julius and all they get is three second round picks. Or, oh, they get Russ, who's such a bad contract, even though he's expiring and you wouldn't play him. And it's just like, that's not the point. The point is to win games and develop players. And in this case, it's actually one of the exceptions where you can do both at the same time, believe it or not, which is not usually the situation. So, I mean, I might be crazy, but my concern is how 
what do I think the Knicks need to do to win the most games? If this, if giving the Lakers a good deal also results in rescuing the Knicks, I don't give a fuck if I rescue the Lakers. I'm trying to set the Knicks up in my imaginary armchair GM role of, I'm trying to set them up both for now, for winning the most games, like Tibbs always says he wants to, by freeing up time for Obi Toppin and Emmanuel Quickly and Quentin Grimes and Cam Reddish. And I'm trying to set them up for the future so that next time a star is available, Emmanuel Quickly, Quentin Grimes, and Obi Toppin are not viewed like fucking throw-ins in a trade who have minimal value, who are outclassed by fucking Colin Sexton and Laurie Markinen and shit like that. Like, are you... Sh- like? It's insane. Like, these are the same fans who are like, wow, we should have ponied up for Donovan Mitchell. And they don't realize the disconnect here that we can win more games, prepare ourselves for the next star trade. You know, like, I wanted Donovan Mitchell a lot. Like, I've, I would have shipped one of the kids out probably without issue. And guess what? Like, we're going to have that conundrum again at some point. Hopefully, it's for a better player than Donovan Mitchell, but it's going to happen again. So, it, it it really wasn't controversial to me when I put this trade offer out there, but so many people, not, it's not, not the majority. I would say it was about like, half and you half. You just say Tyrese. It was Tyrese, but it was other people too. Like but it's fun to make it seem like it was just Tyrese. That's true. It is fun to do that. Um, <laughs> shout out to Tyrese. He's a, he, he's a good Brock Aller in the making, but this is, this is one where I disagree with him. And it's just like, dog, if we quote unquote lose the headline but win the trade, that's fucking fine. And another thing that people were complaining about is the idea that you'd be moving off of the guys you signed and that is viewed as a loss. And this goes back to something I've said a million times. The purpose of signing those guys was two things. One was to be solid on a basketball court next to a theoretically very good Julius Randle and a getting better RJ Barrett. And to get us from one year to the next year to the next. It wasn't about fucking moving them for plus value in the traditional sense of getting a pick. That would be nice. But that's not the only reason. The best thing those deals offered you was flexibility to prepare for different situations. It didn't work out with Donovan Mitchell. But that's the whole point. We were in the mix because of not only picks that we had, but different salaries that we could attach. And that flexibility still holds because now we've realized, oh shit, guess what? This guy who we picked 19th and this guy who we picked 25th, they're actually playing like lottery picks. So we need to find more playing time for them than we thought we needed when we jacked. All you fuckers on Twitter and everywhere else who just assumed these guys would be bit bench players, guess what? They're not. They're pretty good. You need to find minutes for them. And form like further, finding minutes for them will lead you to win, as we saw last year, very clearly. So it's not about taking an L on the deals that you signed back then. It's about adjusting to your current reality. Like, y'all are trying to fucking win trades from 2020. I'm trying to win games this year. If the front office does that, like... You who cares if Mark Berman and Stephen Bondi are gonna misinform about oh we traded these guys for cap space and we didn't do anything with it and we didn't trade for a star like I am the fucking prize, my guys. Like 
what's the best way to get the best players the most minutes next year, short of firing Coach Tibbs, which I'm just going to say is probably not on the table right now. <laughs> it's to free up minutes for the best players. It's not that fucking complicated. It's not that deep. The action never ends at DraftKings Sportsbook, especially this summer. With tons of ways to bet on all your favorite sports, you can fuel your fandom and feel the heat of the season like never before. Plus, right now, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving new customers a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's right. Make your first bet up to $1,000, and if it doesn't win, you'll get another shot to cash in. You can throw down on all the major action for baseball, golf, MMA, and more. Plus, with same-game parlays, spreads, money lines, over-unders, and props, your betting options feel endless. Best of all, DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN, make your first deposit, and get a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's promo code TBPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Yeah, I mean, I I think it even goes beyond that a little bit. But just to address the points you made. Um, yeah, look, I, I guess like this goes back to something I always talk about this. I don't I think Zach Lowe mentioned this on a pod. This is like a really long time ago. It was when Hinky was in charge in Philly. And I guess he was talking to some exec and like, you know, they were talking about Hinky and Hinky was getting praised, and the guy was like, look, it's easy to win trades and you're not trying to win games. Um, this is not the same thing, because the Knicks are, we know they're not trying to, like, lose games. But it's, like, amazing to me how many people refuse to believe the data. It, it, they refuse to believe, they, oh, well, Julius plays starters, nobody paid bench guys. IQ played against bench guys. And what about his shooting percent? What about his field goal percentage? Look at the fucking numbers, man. Look at the data. The data is screaming at you that these two guys, specifically those two guys, more so than Grimes, by the way, who I really like, but like, I think with him, it's still like he fits a very easy, like, it's very easy to just imagine, oh, yeah, he looks exactly like a starting two guard, right? Like, not like a high shot creating one, but just one you're like, yeah, that guy, you can put him next to stars easy like that makes total sense i don't need to wrap my head around anything not a massive bet it's just like if grimes shoots 38 percent from three he's going to be a high level rotation player and a starter like it's just there right it's a little bit weirder with iq and ob because of like their paths and whatever there's a lot of reasons for it anyway the point being either you believe this shit or you don't and like like it's like the money ball thing right like when they have that conversation where he's like he's like look do we either like we either believe this shit or like you know like what are we doing here? That's facts. That was the other jarring thing about a lot of the replies here. Like I know, like not everybody in the replies was like you know Julius Wagon Street, Julius Bandwagon Street team. It's just people they they understand in a vacuum that Obi and IQ are really good, and so is Quentin Grimes, and Cam Reddish probably has some talent in the tank, but they couldn't reconcile that with the fact that that's worth it's worth giving up something to explore and 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 it's also just like so when you're talking about i don't even think you're talking see like the thing is you're talking about like winning game i don't even think you're talking about winning games right i think what you're talking about is like what is the actual path here to like a higher ceiling 
right? Like, what is the actual path available to the Knicks here to higher ceiling? And this is, I'm going to tie this in because I thought this was a very interesting point. Um, and I hadn't considered it this way. So shout out to uh, Lockdown Knicks. This was, I think, Gavin, Gavin Shaw. I think Gavin brought this up. Um, but like, and I, I, this is why I wanted to make it clear. We do have to talk about Donovan Mitchell trade adjacent things. Um, Forever. Like, yeah, we do. We will. It's like the Carmelo Anthony trade, except it, we didn't actually. Except it never happened. Yeah, except it never happened. Um, it's, like the, it, it's the Kyle Lowry trade. Um, so it's based on, forget how you feel about it, I feel about it, whatever. Just based on the offers that we at least know went out, right? And I want to. I'm just going to say this again for like anybody listening. The Woj report that the Knicks offered RJ, Ob, Mitch, and three unprotected first round picks at the start of free agency is fucking utter bullshit. That never happened. I, you could believe me. You don't believe me. I know for a fact that never happened. Um, that's bullshit. And anyway, moving on. Uh, the, the offers that we do know for sure happened, right? We know there were offers with RJ. We know there were offers with Quickly. We know there were offers with Grimes. We know there were offers with Obi. But basically, the fact that all of those those four guys at various points or in certain iterations were on the table, and Gavin brought this up, is like what they are telling you is they might like all of these guys, but they don't see any of them as stars. Okay, so let's just go with this. Let's let's look at this as the front office, even yeah. potential stars, right? But like, let's just look at it. Like, let's just let's look at this as a front office, right? Let's say they have determined we don't love, we like these guys a lot, but we don't love their ability to become stars. Okay, and we all, and I think I'm just gonna make sure you agree with this. We do we both agree that you need stars to win in the NBA. Are we good with that? Yes, hot take. Okay, all right. So let's. So we are the front office. Me and you are the front office. We have failed to get Donovan Mitchell, so now we have to determine what is our best course of action to not just move forward this year, but eventually, right? How do we how do we get a star? How do we develop a star? How do we get a star? Right? So how do we do this? What is our best path forward? Now, is our best path forward keeping a protected first and Julius Randle for this year? What do you think? Is it what? Is it worth Let's say the cost of getting off Julius Randle is one of those protected first. Do you think that keeping Julius Randle on a protected first is worth more in the further pursuit of acquiring a star, which is ultimately what we're talking about when we're talking about winning championships and competing at a high level, or is moving off of him worth more to acquire a potential star moving forward? The latter is, is obviously right. worth more. It's not even a right. It's and so even if Julius, real quick, even if Julius goes from tire fire to solid, like the Julius Randall that I posited, but concluded it was unlikely to happen at the end of my long Julius Randall piece. Like even though that in and of itself would be a rehabilitation of his value from like a negative asset to something closer to neutral or slight positive. So what? This is what Schwinn's getting at. Like, okay, now you went from, you can move Julius, you, you need to pay a protected first to move Julius to maybe another team will give you a protected first to move Julius. Because unless he goes back to literal, like most improved player form, that's probably the most that's going to happen for him at his salary. Is like, oh, a team will give you a you know, a solid unprotected first, maybe some seconds. Right. But like, what are you going to do with that? Like that's in terms of your, your, he's in that situation. He's not a star. 
your team now has not your team with him as solid but non-star is not closer to getting a star your young players who have either the potential to become stars or to at least show that potential enough that another team would try to have them as possible stars you've reduced the chances of those outcomes coming so it's not about julius's value being slight negative or slight positive it's about keeping your eye on the fucking prize which is what you're saying which is how do we get a star we didn't get donnie how do we get another one right does and keeping julius help us or not right and and here's well, like so there's two parts of this okay the first part, which I think everybody is really scared of for some reason, and I just don't understand it, so I'm just going to talk about this, is like, well, if we trade Julius and the team still sucks, what does that say about our young guys? Well, it would say that they're not very good. Or at least they're not very good in terms of having to lead the team and having to be the key players on the team. Okay, but why would we not want to know that? Like, isn't it better to know that now than find that out later? Uh, I think so. And because the and, the alternative is you don't know that, and you know that Julius Randle is mid, right? Instead of shit, right? Whoop the fucking do. And and so the other part of it is this: if you suck with these guys, which would suck, you know, I would hate that because I like all these guys a lot. Um, guess what happens? At the end of the year get a lottery pick in a draft that many seem to believe has a lot of franchise changing franchise changing talent at the top let's just say look there's not that many tanking teams this year the ones that are tanking are going to be like terrible tanking. probably um, <laughs> capital but, T yes. <laughs> but like there aren't that many tanking teams this year so guess what the Knicks could be like bad even though they're not tanking and end up with like the fifth or sixth pick or something like that like, that's not unreasonable. And guess what? If that happens, we have now learned more about our young talent, and we have now acquired a high lottery pick in a stack draft. This does not seem like a terrible alternative if we trade Julius Randle. Because guess what? There is a version of this where we keep Julius Randle, and the same thing ends up, except it's a lot more miserable, and we have a lot more questions about our young guys. So, here's the second part of it. Trading Julius Randle ensures that there is no blocking of the young players in the team. And you might be like, well, quickly might as well get blocked. And No, it clears it up by a shit ton. Because if you get rid of Julius, let's say you just trade Julius for like, I don't know, fucking, what did you have it for? It was Russell, basically, let, it's some Russell Westbrook trade where we get back Russell Westbrook and we wave him, okay? Let's just say that's what it is. Okay. And guess what? Obi starts and Cam is basically your backup for is the way the roster is structured right now. Even if you signed Mello, let's just say, even then the only young guy in that scenario who's not going to play a lot would be Cam, potentially. That's it. That's really it, because it ensures that IQ and Rose are going to be playing a bunch off the bench in that scenario. Fournier might get the backup three minutes instead of Cam, okay? Or if you don't acquire Mello, Cam can play the four. It doesn't really. It opens up all these minutes now for these young guys. That's your biggest minutes guy. He's gone. Opens up a shit ton of minutes for these young guys. And guess what? Like the biggest one of the biggest obstacles in this trade now is the Knicks did not want to include a certain amount of unprotected picks. We know this. Like this is a the one thing that that was the essential thing. Right. That was the the one thing everybody can agree on is 
they were not budging on the unprotected picks, okay? And they tried to make up that gap with their young guys. But guess what? You did not play them last year. And, again, great point made by, I believe, Alex. Or I think it was Alex or Gavin. I'm not sure. It was a great point, so it's hard to believe it was Alex, but I do think it was Alex. Um, but he was like, yeah, you can tell, like, you can show Danny Ainge all this data and all this great stuff, and at the end of the day, Danny Ainge can look at you and be like, okay, but you didn't play them until, like, the last 15 games of the season. Why? Like, you know, I don't give a shit about this. Like, you didn't play them when your game, your season was on the line, so why the fuck do I care about it? You didn't even care about it. Why should I believe this? And I think that's a valid point. Like, we can sit here and talk about, like, oh, Quickly's underrated, Obi's underrated, these guys, Brime's underrated, I love these guys, they're the best, whatever. But, like, the value around the league for these guys is what it is because you, and like, this is where I'm not just going to put it on Tibbs, but it's because you as a front office did not make it a priority to open up minutes for these guys. And we know this, and I'm not even going to kill them for it necessarily because we know this based on what they did at the start at last summer, right? Last summer, they were like coming off the playoff berth, and I get it. You don't want to take a step back. So you signed these deals that you thought like, okay, like you mentioned, we need to get them off them. We can get off them. Or maybe the team takes another step and we're all good. Okay, it didn't go as planned. Fine. But you never pivoted in the season, really. And then you traded a protected first for Cam, and you never bothered to like make an obvious opening for him in rotation. A problem, by the way, which still exists. And so, by the way, if you want to sit here and talk about the front office can't burn an asset, yeah, they can. They already showed it based on what they're doing with Cam right now. Because if they They literally have- burned a protected first, which apparently... Like, nobody wants to use to move off of Julius Randle because it's like because they're likely to convey. I got news for you people. The Knicks are good at, like, the draft they trade was, was actually pretty good. All three of the second rounders are almost certainly going to convey as first round picks. I mean, not second rounders. Uh, protected picks are likely to convey as first eventually. So, like, yeah. Fucking spare me. If you could if you could burn a first to take a flyer that you never actually took on Cam Reddish, just fucking don't compound that by being, you know, hanging on for dear life to your protected first right now when there's an easy way to use them to make your team win more games and set your team up for better long-term trades. Yeah, and it's it's just it's really frustrating because like like you, the front office has already, and this is where I think the front office really—they should be getting constant criticism for this if they don't handle it. You, okay, being about milking value, winning value to get assets, to accumulate assets, and all this kind of stuff, win trades, you know, get flexible contracts, all this stuff is great, it's fantastic. But the, ultimately, the entire plan was. We need to get a star, right? We can develop a star. We can trade for a star. One of those things needs to happen because the path they've chosen right now is probably not going to yield one in the draft other than what I just kind of outlined, which is possible, right? It's possible they get lucky, move up, whatever. But like the most likely avenues for them based on the path they have chosen, which by the way, I don't, I will not kill them for because I'm, I don't think Dolan is really ever down for a multi-year tank. I don't think it made sense to blow up the team that was doing really well their first year. I kind of get why they played it out. It is what it is. Move on. Um, like, your path to getting a star now, it is either developing one or, or trading for one. And the best way to do that, regardless of which one you end up on, 
is by playing your young guys and letting them play, showcasing them, giving the opportunity to sink or swim, giving them the opportunity to fail or succeed and be the thing that is driving your team forward. It is not. It is not chasing this middle ground on the strength of veterans. It's not. And like, guess what? We have a lot of evidence to suggest if all you want to do is be respectable, you can be plenty respectable playing these young guys. So like at the end of the day, it is on the front office at this point to either put put up or shut the fuck up because I'm sick and tired of like this weird thing of, oh, well, we want to have vets and we want to, you know, win this trade and we don't want to give up this contract. If we, if we trade Rose, we need to get this amount of value back. If we trade Randall. We don't want to give X value. If we give up Fournier, we don't want to trade with people. Okay. But while you're like, you know, while you're hoarding and not hoarding is hoarding is the wrong word, but when you're like so focused on, I can't lose this specific contract trade. Like what you are losing in the meantime by just not making a decision by indecision, right? By these by this indecision of like how do we clean up this roster? How, what you're doing is you're costing yourself the opportunity ultimately of developing or trading for a star by playing your young guys and finding out more information about them and showcasing them and like forgetting even like the guys that we've drafted, right? IQ, uh, Ob Grimes. Deuce, even RJ, obviously, who obviously congrats on him getting an extension. Um, Jericho Sims, whatever. Forgetting even these guys. Cam Reddish, again, like I I have to go back to this because I think it's unreal. Like you traded a protected first for this guy. So clearly there are people in your organization who are aware that one, yes, he's not a great player right now, but he does have very intriguing tools, ones that we lack. And if we develop him, he could be a very valuable piece either for us or in trade. And two, that you wanted to do this. You wanted to get him in your house and develop him, okay? And yes, maybe ultimately that was because you thought he was an undervalued asset that you could flip for more later. Fine, but you. But even if that's your goal, you cannot flip him for more later if you do not clear a fucking path for this guy to get fucking minutes. So at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what your goal is with him or what your goal is with anybody's guys. You are not getting there unless you clear minutes for them, unless you clear a pathway for them to get expanded roles in the rotation and crying about, well, we want to get two seconds for Derek Rose instead of one second, or Tibbs loves Derek Rose, we can't get rid of him, or, oh, well, we can't trade Julius because we would need to adapt to protect it first. It does, all these are just, they're just excuses. And guess what? Everybody's got excuses. Everybody's got reasons, but it doesn't matter. At some point, you've got to put up or shut up. And if they are not, do, if the road, Derek Rose should be gone. He should be gone. Like, I'm, I'm happy he was here. I'm happy for what he provided us. I think he's a really good vet. All the kids love him for a good reason, right? He's a great influence for them in the locker room. He should be, he, this, like, literally the, the day after Donovan Mitchell got traded, he should be out of here. Because the only reason he should have ever been here this entire summer is because his salary is useful in trade. Get him the fuck out of here. He's tradable on an expiring contract. He has some value on the league. I know friend of the pod, Dallas Amico, did this whole thing of like, are we sure Derrick Rose is tradable? Yes, Dallas, we're sure Derrick Rose is tradable. They can trade Derrick Rose. I'm not going to get an unprotected yeah. awesome first, but you can get matter. something. You get a second round pick for him, keep it moving. Okay? You recoup the value that you sent out for him in trade. Congratulations. Like, th- that is... Get these guys out of here. They are not part of the future. 34-year-old Derrick Rose is not part of your future. He does not matter to what matters to you long-term or what should matter to you long-term. 
Julius Randle. He does not matter to your future. He is actually the biggest impediment to your future. He's the biggest player impediment to your future, I should say. Okay? Get him out of here. Get him gone. I don't care. Like, if they get rid of Julius Randle, but Rose and Fournier are still here, I can at least, like, I'll deal with that. That's fine. I can, I can handle that. I think everybody can handle that. But you've got to make moves with this shit. You cannot sit here and try to appease everybody. Like, if you're Leon Rose, you're the one in the front office. And I gotta, I reject all this stuff of like, oh, teams don't know who they're dealing with. Teams don't know who the buck stops with. Who there's two. It doesn't fucking matter. Like Leon, Leon Rose, Rose is the president, right? Yeah, like it's, it's him. Like it, if if he's letting too many voices, that's on him. It doesn't matter what is. It is all on Leon. So if Leon Rose cannot make these decisions if, if then get him the fuck out of here like i am sick of this shit you have to make some tough decisions right now and if you don't make these tough and and the fact of the matter is like i just fun i'm just gonna say this right now i think their player evaluation of their own players fucking sucked in this drama mitchell trade flat out i think it was fucking garbage um and that is its own red flag but guess what there was a time the, the Golden State Warriors almost traded Stephen Curry and Klay Thompson for Chris Paul. Real thing. There was a time when a lot of people in the Golden State Warriors front office wanted to trade Klay Thompson for Kevin Love. Guess Played what? D. Lee over Draymond for a while. There's there are plenty of teams like you only we only hear about the trades that get made. There's so many trades that don't happen. And, and you know we had a uh, Chuck. Of Chucking Darts, uh, awesome guest last week on. He talked about there are skeletons in every GM's closet. Danny fucking Ainge wanted to trade the Tatum and Brown picks and other picks for Justice Winslow. Okay, every GM has. If you want to, if we were going to go down the path of like kill every front office for trades that they didn't ultimately make, you can do that for everybody. But they didn't make this. They got a stay of execution. So what are you going to do with it? Did you learn anything from last year? Because the takeaway from last year, right? You tried to trade for a star. It couldn't happen. Because, why? Because the play, young players that you tried to use to bridge the gap to acquire that star were not strong enough in value. And the takeaway from that should be, okay, our path to getting a star, whether it is developing one or playing one, lies in clearing the fucking minutes for these guys. That's your path. It is not about maximizing your transaction value on these moving rows and Fournier. No, those are fucking irrelevancies. And guess what? If they're here, they don't got to play. They don't have to play. They really don't. This is not like, um, again, like, is it a meritocracy or not? Because you, if you keep, keep telling me it's a meritocracy, then make it one. If you want to keep telling me you love your young players, then fucking play them. Like, this is not rocket science. And as far as I'm concerned, like, they and Tibbs now, like, for two years, I think I've been pretty like firmly defensive of the front office. I think I understand their, what, what they've done. I've liked their process. I like the moves they made. And I still largely like the moves they made. But, you know, uh, who was it? I think it's a big inflection point. Yeah, it's, it's, it's also just like, you know, I think Andrew Claudio said this on uh, the KFS pod, but it's like no half measures. Like that time is over. You, you can't get a little bit pregnant anymore. All right. We, we're past that stage. Like, you have to make decisions. And if you're not willing to make these decisions now, then you need to be held accountable for the coach that you've kept. You need to be held accountable for the players that you've decided to keep, the veterans you've decided to keep that are probably going to sit there and bury our young talent again. And at the end of the day, you should lose your fucking job if that's the case. 
Yeah, for a while, like, you know, I go back to the trade deadline where you were, you know, you were tight for good reason that they didn't move AB to make some time. And my whole stick was like, it it doesn't seem like the sort of hill they could die on when they could do other stuff with him later, whatever, whatever. And the whole thing, the whole thing is that's cool. That's fine and defensible in a vacuum, but it becomes a problem when every situation is like that. It's we've now had enough data points to actually wonder. And this isn't about getting Donovan Mitchell or not, because thank God they didn't pay that offer, (laughs) any of them. But you have to when you have to make small decisions that are hard decisions eventually you're going to get hit with making harder larger decisions to me that rejecting Danny Ainge's proposal was actually not a hard decision at all not at all don't like the ask was overwhelming it's actually it's unfortunate it's disappointing it sucks for me because I really like Donovan Mitchell but in terms of like Am I going to sit there fucking racking my brain? No, obviously I'm not going to fucking pay those deals. But now you have some actual hard decisions to make. Like, about like, do you want Obi to play or not? That's a hard decision. And if your answer is no, then you're a dumb front office. If your answer is yes, then you have to move Julius. If not now, fine. Rehab him, whatever that means. and then get the shit done but like there's no you can't keep ducking the smoke right now there's too many important decisions that are small but cumulatively have shaped have shaped the situation that we're in as a team in terms of having value or not having value on the roster compared like to what the other not compared to anything but um in the eyes of other folks around the league so that's the danger. The danger is that this becomes a front office that dies by a thousand cuts. That's what could potentially happen. Um, we there's enough. Con- this isn't like um, uh, you know, there's been lots of times in off seasons where we've been like, oh, why don't they use their cap space to absorb a player for a pick, right? Like, and you know, we would lament on Twitter or here on the pod that like, well, there's actually not that many opportunities to do that. It's great that Memphis did that once, but like who else was realistically going to do that? And that's, I stand by that stuff, but there are enough configurations for small but significant actions that we can no longer say, well, it's possible or probable that they didn't have any good options, so they held tight and decided to just stick with what they got and rehab the values. Like, no, I, I just, I categorically refuse that. And it's not, and it's not some like, oh, I don't, I don't know how they're gonna do it, but this is their job, so they should do it. It's not even about that. It's that these guys are, you know, Fournier and Rose. They're not albatrosses, but they're also. They also are guys. There's plenty of teams that are desperate for a little bit of help, and you have plenty of assets that you can use to accommodate them and even get some stuff back in the process. It's it's not wishing upon a star. It's you passing up on reasonable things you can do. And either the and, and the reason would either be because you're you just are afraid of optics or because you truly truly think your young talent is ass. And both of those things are not good.
our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you mean cellar. the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts.